Personally, however, I've always been pretty sold out on the idea that people do what they want to do. From Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter. This is also the Mecca of Mormonism. And this is your host, Sean McCraney. And we're learning together how to walk the Christian life in the age of fulfillment. Uh, you might notice that the short shows, which we're airing on Monday nights, aren't so much uh, riddled with scripture, and uh, it's somewhat a little bit more of my uh, postulations about things relative uh, to a background in scripture. So it's really quite interesting, this life. It gets really interesting when we consider, we sort of postulate, into the next life and the choices that we make here and how it affects it. In the Christian world, there's this idea that God grants everybody life and we either live it according to his rules uh, or not. And if we do, then we will have a really great afterlife. And if we don't, then we won't. And that's usually summarized in heaven and hell. If you do what he wants, you have heaven. If you don't do what he wants, you have hell. That's the, that's the kind of the classic view, usually by people who haven't done any study on Sheol, Hades, Gehenna, or that word hell in the New Testament. They just come up with this Augustine type of belief of heaven and hell, and they run with it. Well, some take the biblical narrative written to other people of another age and under other circumstances and are convinced that those who follow God's written plan will go to heaven, but if you don't follow God's written plan, you're going to go to hell forever. And in that thinking, they tend to omit different factors all of us face. For instance, the fall, uh, our nature, our uh, genetic makeup, our environment. And we always seem to remember the free will people have. Oh, they chose to do that. They're going to go to hell. But we very rarely include the extenuating circumstances into our makeup. When we look at the nation of Israel, whom God made his bride back in the Old Testament, and all the opportunities he gave them to turn and repent from their idolatrous ways, uh, and he gave them prophets, and he gave them uh, signs and wonders and blessings and curses and the law. Ultimately, he made them the people that brought forth the Messiah. The results of faith on their part versus faithlessness uh, were merited. And when Yeshua returned for the faithful in 70 AD with reward, I have no issue with judgment that fell upon the rest of them. Uh, they were blessed over and over and over again for 1,500 years in that family that God called his bride. They were his people. And when they turned and they uh, killed the Messiah, he gave them judgment and justice what they deserved if they didn't repent. They were warned, you will die. And they did. But once that age was wrapped up and Christ took his bride of faithful believers at that time to the new Jerusalem above, having had victory over all things, the realities of heaven and hell that were once so applicable to them then were complete. Those realities were done and heaven and the holding tank. Sheol, or what we call hell. And we entered into that new age, the age that we constantly talk about. And in this age, I'm not so sure about the heaven-hell rhetoric anymore, 
as popular as it still continues to be among believers today. I mean, the heavenly realm is there for all of us, but the hell or even the punishment side of the afterlife, I have sort of concluded after everything is said and done that every single human being from the time that that age wrapped up gets what they want in the end. I think we get what we want. I think God is a good God. He grants us the desires of our hearts and he's going to give every single person what they desire. I've come to this conclusion by the fact that I see God as a good God, a good father, and as free will agents, he created us in his image. And I think our good God grants each of us what we want. I mean, isn't that what parents do? Child comes to you and says, I want to learn to throw the boomerang. The parent goes and he buys a boomerang. Parents do that. It seems like the father gives us creations and children what we want. Oh, I'm sure there's going to be people who are disappointed in the afterlife. They'll be sort of like, oh, why didn't I do this? Or maybe, you know, why didn't I spend more time doing that? Maybe there's some of that going on. Uh, but at the end of the day, it seems reasonable to me that since God has reconciled the world to himself through his son, by his shed blood for everybody, and that all of us are responsible then for our eternal status, then God grants us the desires of our hearts, whatever they may be. That can be a sobering thought right out of the gate and gets more and more sobering the closer we get to home and to the finish line. You know, you can live your life and you get closer to the finish line. You start saying, have I really lived for the things that I really want? And I'm sure that we all go through those, those questions. Have I done what I really wanted to do? And I think the answer probably is, yeah, we did. Personally, however, I've always been pretty sold out on the idea that people do what they want to do. Um, what I mean by that is people live in many cases, at least in free countries, how they want to live. And that in the end, we all rise to the heights that we kind of desire, or we sink to the lows that we desire, and we just kind of sit there and live in that. That's We're doing what we really, really want. If you were wanted to do something different, people would, but they don't. And because they don't, to me, that says where they're at is what they really want. I know... I. I, I I really do know how hard things can be for some people. And again, I, I don't uh, like to speak to exceptions on either extreme, but generally speaking, human beings live, do, think on how, how they want to live, act, and think. I see this all the time with the homeless people that we have downtown Salt Lake City. I talk to them. I find out. And after you get through the initial, just give me five bucks, because they want something right then, if you, if you have a conversation with them, you'll learn that they're pretty happy with what they're doing. And if they're not, they are working hard to change what they're doing. At least that's what they say. If we reach a point that we don't like how we're living, what we're doing, how we're believing, then people will make a change. 
they will say, this doesn't work for me personally. I don't like what I've been doing. Therefore, I'm going to change. If the process to change is too painful and it outweighs the comfort of staying where we are, then people will usually stay where they are. But if the, the status of where you're at becomes more intolerable than the process of change, people often will change. That's what happened with me with the Mormon church. I realized I can't do this anymore. This, this is not me. This is not right. This is not who I can live as an adult. And I changed because the comfort and, and process and fear of being Mormon um, was far outweighed by what it took to change. So that's the thing. What do you want? Is the pain too great to get what you want? Then you'll stay at another place because that's what you want. You got to understand that. If the pain is too great to get what you think you want and you remain at the place that you are, the place that you are is what you really want. And, and I'm not sure many people agree with that or understand that. Certainly there's external factors that step in and hinder people from succeeding. Red tape and bureaucracies, bad people with evil intentions and the like. But in my estimation, and again, generally speaking, we bloom where we're planted. And once we're stable in that place, most of us are either too lazy, too comfortable, too satisfied, or too fearful to move beyond that place. And we are living where we desire to live. One generalization I think I'm safe in making is that sons and daughters of God are not satisfied with anything less than 100% allegiance to God and His ways. I think that can be universally stated about true sons and daughters. They're not satisfied at being in places in their life which are lesser than being engaged 100% with Him spiritually is what I'm talking about. Yes, we can all get sidetracked by sin and attractions, but sons and daughters of God want, they desire a relationship with the living God. And in the end, maybe along the way this isn't the case, but in the end, they won't settle for less. They will always reach the point where I am going to be in harmony with what my desires of my heart really are. And their faith and their love for God and others prove that desire. That's what proves that they really do believe and they really are appreciative and they really do love God, is that what they do shows it. So this relationship is central to true faith. If someone really desires and loves God, they will pursue God. And since his commandments are to believe on his son and love as his son commands, then the statement that Christ, excuse me, the statement by Christ, that by their love people will be known as his disciples, rings true. So unlike most of the rest of the world, but as a means to serve him, sons and daughters do not do what they want. Um, and what I mean by that, through self-denial, they instead prove their heart's desires by doing what God wants. And that's how you can tell what someone really wants relative to God. They can say, oh, I want to be close to God. 
But if their lives don't pursue God, then they probably really don't want to be close to God. You see how it's connected to our actions, our, our vetting, what our heart's desires really are? So I think God then grants us the desires of our hearts, every single one of us. He grants them. And this is the point of tonight's show. Our God is good, and as such, 